0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty and I'm happy to be inside the studio today. We got a bunch of snow. We got, I don't know, somewhere around a foot of snow out there. And of course today uh, I wake up, walk outside and the wind is blowing and all the snow that I just moved yesterday, get to move it again. And that's the fun part about winter. You know, we've been pretty lucky though. Really haven't had winter until this snowfall event and i know it's going to get colder up here uh coming up this weekend we have got some days in the forecast that are going to be below zero for the high which for those of you in the south when it's below zero here that means it's more than 30 degrees below freezing so it's quite cold when it gets cold uh but you know one thing that was interesting uh just before the snow, I had a chance to to travel all the way across our state uh, into western South Dakota. And there's some winter wheat that looked really nice. And, you know, you put a blanket of snow cover over that. And Brian and I were just talking about this a little bit ago. That you got that blanket of snow. That frost isn't going to move down in the ground that far. It was, what was it, eight inches of frost is all we had so far today, Brian? Well, yeah, but... According to the weather station,
1: anyway. Yeah, and last year it was 15 inches at the same time, which in both cases isn't very deep. But, you know, by this time of year, we haven't been cold all that long. Usually our frost gets pretty deep by the time you get to late February and early March, and then it starts getting a lot better. But anyway, yeah, I I guess... I like the frost going deep to kill insects and diseases and things like that, but I also don't like the frost going deep because I want to get out in the field earlier in the spring and want moisture to soak in as well. So, yeah, today we're talking about manure management, and this is something that we've been working on, quite frankly, our whole lives. We had livestock growing up on the farm, cattle and hogs. Today we work with a large dairy it's right next to us and we have manure pumped on a couple thousand acres of ground every year. Well, there are a lot of different ways you can handle that, but here's the number one thing that I want you to get from this. So, and the most important thing in my opinion, we get asked the question all the time, how much manure do you guys put on? Are you basing it on the nitrogen that's in there or the phosphorus that's in there? And I say I'm basing it on neither. I'm basing it on the salt. So salt, 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 salt that is the number one thing with manure I, that that's to me uh, I shouldn't say everything but that's the qualifier always for the crop that's what i am concerned about
0: well there's so many things about manure that are going to help the crop but there's yep. one main thing that has the potential to
1: hurt things and, yeah. and Two really, sodium and salt, and so here, here's the way I want to separate those two things because a lot of people ask about the sodium too, and they automatically assume sodium is salt. No, they are two separate things. So sodium is a nutrient by itself. It's a nutrient that plants need in small amounts, and it's fine by itself at low levels. But when it gets high, now that becomes a problem. And when the so, and what happens is soil. Okay, so sodium can raise soil pH roughly 4 to 1 compared to calcium. 4 to 1! So if you're getting a whole bunch of sodium in your soil, you're going to find that your pH is going way up, and you're going to find it's like kind of magnifying what magnesium would be. So a lot of people talk about these high mag soils and just how tight they are and poorly drained and everything else. Like I say, the sodium, it's kind of magnesium that's magnified even more, and you get your sodium level up to a certain point, roughly 15% is the, is the cutoff for calling it a sodic soil. But even if you're at 5% on a base saturation test with sodium, you got a problem. Your soil is starting to be killed. So you, you get that sodium up above the 15% level, yeah, it's a real problem. If it's up above the 30% level, your soil is pretty well dead. Nothing's going to grow out there. So you got to keep that sodium level down. But the sodium thing, that's a long-term deal, okay? So that's what I think about long-term with manure. Short-term with manure, what I care about is salt. Salt, and, and by the way, you might say, well, sodium's a salt. No, it isn't. Sodium, if you combine it with something else, it can be. So like sodium sulfate, that's a salt. Sodium chloride, that's a salt. So sodium by itself is not a salt. But anyway, if you get your salts too high... Then you can actually kill your crop. You can kill your roots. You can kill the seed. You can kill the seedling. You can kill a great big grown plant with too much salt. Keep that salt level low. So with Midwest Labs, on their manure tests, they they will tell you right at the bottom, there'll be a little disclaimer thing. I shouldn't even call it disclaimer. Just their guidelines. 500 pounds of salt per acre per year. That's kind of their max that they would recommend. And that's only if you're getting 25 inches of rain or more. Well, if you're getting less than 25 inches, which we do, then you should keep it down below 500 pounds of salt. So when I look at manure, for example, this liquid manure we're getting from the dairy, that's the first thing that I look at. And that always cuts me off. I can't put on enough nitrogen for the crop. I can't put on enough phosphorus. I can't put on enough of several of these other nutrients because they hit the salt limit. So that's my problem. And that's the thing that I would encourage you to always look at as well. Let's say that you are dealing with, you are working with someone who has lots of manure, and they need and want to get rid of it. Um, you may be asked, "Hey, will you put on 20,000 gallons of liquid manure?" Sure, but let's look at the salt. If I'm exceeding my salt level and my guideline, five, let's say it's five hundred pounds, and that's what you're shooting for. Well, then my my advice, our advice is always say no. Now. If you say, well, I have to put on more than that. I have to do it. Okay, how can you get by with it? Heavier soil, more rainfall. So if you had irrigation, well, then I'm not as worried about it. Salts are leachable. A lot of times we think about nitrate. Oh, nitrate's leachable. Salts are very leachable. So if you can flush the salt out of your ground, then I'm fine with it. And you can push the rate a little bit higher. But if you're like us and you don't have that irrigation to use for the excess water and flushing the salts out, then you got to be real careful about what you're doing. So again, manure management, my most important thing, salt, don't overdo it, especially in the short term, it can kill you. And then in the long term, really pay attention to your sodium levels that they aren't building in your soil. Otherwise, you have to cut back on the manure you're applying. We'll talk more manure management right after this
3: Do you want to optimize the amount of plant nutrition provided by the microbes in your soil? Source it. Want to replace 25 pounds of nitrogen and phosphorus per acre? Source it. Looking for a more cost-effective way to unlock your crops potential and increase ROI? Source it. Easy to handle, apply, and store. To make your fertilizer plan more efficient, source it. Learn more at sound.ag.
0: Get the most from every acre on your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and soybeans, a soils clinic, and a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information, and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Register today at agphd.com.
2: Are you ready for better efficiency, more productivity, higher yields? Then you're ready for John Deere Precision Technology, which starts with three core pieces. First, a G5 display gives fast views of your work and a window to future technology. A Starfire receiver gives you sub-inch repeatable accuracy without an RTK base station. And a JD-Link modem gives you a live view of your entire operation. Get precise and talk with your John Deere dealer or visit johndeere.com backslash Facebook.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio Broadcasting from the Morton Studio and talking about manure management on today's program. Now, here's something that I want to bring up too. A lot of folks say, well, I don't really have app uh, I don't really have access to manure. And a few years ago, we would have said that too. We had a very small dairy right next to us, great people. They just didn't produce a whole lot of manure. There were only three or four million gallons each year, and it just didn't go very far. They put manure on their acres, and they would occasionally have a little bit extra, and and some of the neighbors like us would have a chance at it. But that never covered a huge chunk of our acres. So we we just felt like, well, you know, it's a small deal for us, not a big deal, but now it's a big deal for us. And you just never know when uh, a neighbor is going to expand greatly next to you. I mean, this dairy went from a few hundred to a few thousand uh, overnight. So... That's pretty cool. And all of a sudden manure management became a big thing for us on our farm. So anyway, if you're listening uh, today, there's there's just going to be a lot of opportunities that come up over the years and uh, understanding how you can utilize manure in the best way possible is really important. We'll start off. We've got Todd Whitney with us right now. He's with the University of Nebraska down in Lincoln. How are you doing, Todd?
4: Oh, doing great. Getting back into winter experience again with the snow and the ice coming in, which is We welcome the moisture. It's hard to get around when you have a lot of ice going around.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I, I like the moisture when it comes in the liquid form and it soaks in. <laughs> that's my preferred, but occasionally we have to slip and slide across it, and uh, that's that's where we're at now. But, you know, a lot of the manure application is done, or it's waiting until spring, and, mm-hmm. and you've got liquid application. You've got a lot of feedlot manure that gets spread in your part of Nebraska. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of different forms of manure out there. Uh, where do you start with growers when when it comes to manure management?
4: Well, we always say um, start with uh, record-keeping, you know, make sure that you are identifying what the value of that manure is. Uh, we've had some cases in Nebraska where we've had a lot of expansion of poultry uh, facilities, and what's interesting is poultry manure is more concentrated, so you can afford to truck it a lot further than our traditional beef manure that we have. Uh, a lot of our beef manure, uh, people are just spreading it uh, they don't worry as much about the loss of the ammonium form, which is only about 10%. Uh, it goes into the air, so a lot of it is just, just an applied surface, uh, whereas if you're into swine manure that has a lot more of the, uh, or, of the form of m- ammonium and that needs to be injected, so there are some differences of what type of manure they have. So, so kind of look at it. We have had some upgrades on some of the recommendations. And then we also say, well, take into account the fertilizer prices had gone up and that put a lot more interest into the manure application. Some of the fertilizer prices have gone down a little bit from what it was before, but there's it's still kind of a hot topic for people and a lot of interest in it.
0: You know, you mentioned that fertilizer, commercial fertilizer prices go up and down a lot. And I know sometimes we'll talk to growers when it's on one end of that cycle or the other. Hey, manure is a great deal for me. Uh, I don't know if I'm really saving a whole lot by doing the manure. Uh, I just think those are long-term relationships that you look at. Uh, ten years out of ten, if you average those ten out, uh, I, I would say you're going to come out ahead using manure in many cases. But it it starts back to what you said, Todd. you got to know what you've got in that manure so you can manage it properly.
4: Yeah, and we also talk about well, think in terms of specific needs. You know, if you are having some areas that need to have some organic matter buildup, then manure is a way to go. Uh, we've looked at some of the research uh, long term, there's 141 studies that we looked at here at Nebraska that caused us to say, well, we needed to increase a little bit of uh, how much that first year is available. And so we have a publication that's been upgraded that's giving a little more credit that first year when when the manure is applied. And so uh, we've also seen probably about a 5% increase in yields where manure is being used. And we haven't fully identified, well, what are all those reasons? It's more than just the, the nutrients that are applied there. There's a biological uh, benefit to putting that manure on. And it helps on having less um, leaching happening and less runoff uh, when it's applied properly, we, we still recommend this time of year we're getting frozen soil. Um, you know, putting manure out there, we've got to be careful because it can move off a frozen field. So we're a little bit careful about that on saying uh, you can put it on year-round. We do say kind of be aware of your conditions so that we don't cause uh, nutrients to move off the field. We want to keep them out there and do what they can to help the next crop.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. you got to use some common sense, be aware of conditions, because they change rapidly in Nebraska and other states, and they certainly did change rapidly this week down in Nebraska with a snowstorm and now colder temperatures coming in. But we're still lucky to have Todd Whitney with us with the University of Nebraska to talk about manure. Todd, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. You had some great points there and look forward to talking to you again.
4: Hey, thank you.
5: Have a great day.
0: You bet. You too. We've got Dan Anderson right now with Iowa State on. Dan, how are you doing?
5: Oh, I'm good. It's a nice cold and snowy day here in Iowa too.
0: <laughs> yeah, you guys got that same storm that Todd had and and we got up here and, you know, I like having some snow out there. I like that that moisture is going to hopefully melt and soak down into the soil in the spring if we're lucky and uh, then we'll get all that manure that we put on this fall activated, working for our crop. We should be in a good shape, right?
5: Absolutely. I think it was a nice fall for manure application, but just like you said, it, it's been plenty dry and a little moisture wouldn't hurt. And, uh, Some of our research plots last year were extremely dry, and just like you said, it it takes a little water to get the nutrients where you want. And I had good luck with manure, but some of my uh, commercial fertilizer where I was side dressing nitrogen, I put it on and we didn't get any rain. man, that nitrogen never made it to the crop, right?
0: Yeah. I had a guy that was on our show here just a few weeks ago. He put on 100 pounds. He gained seven bushels. He's like, what did I do that for? Because it never rained afterwards. But you don't know yeah. that when you're making those applications. You can only do your best guess. And it's kind of the same thing with manure. I mean, you're putting the manure out there. And like Todd was saying, they've adjusted their first year available nutrient recs now uh, just based on current research, a lot has changed. I mean, the diets and the, the livestock have changed and storage methods and how much water is getting used in some of these systems. And the the manure thing is dynamic. It's not just the same every year.
5: Absolutely. And I think that's an area where we're going to continue to see a lot of change. I think when you look at beef cattle uh, here in Iowa, we see more and more people moving to deep pitted housing. And a lot of the research for nitrogen availability there is, pretty old. And we've seen a few people look at aeration systems in their, their deep-pitted beef farm. And we know aeration is going to push more of that nitrogen into the first year. And, and more people are looking at anaerobic digestion of manure. And that, too, will push more of that nitrogen first year available. So it is dynamic, right? You feel like you start to get a handle on it and then uh, we can do this a little better, we're going to try this a little different, and it changes things in the, in the whole system.
0: You know, you look at the carbon market, what's happening there, and, and some of the digestion systems that are getting used now. Uh, how is that changing things? We, we get a lot of questions about that because it's something that, for a lot of areas, is relatively
3: new.
5: Yeah, so I think when I look at the digester industry, if you have an outdoor lagoon, it's really easy to go put a cover on it. Uh, if you're near a pipeline, inject that gas in the pipeline. And like you said, the carbon markets are, are pretty lucrative. You can get uh, RIN credits from the federal government. That was the same as what was used for ethanol production. Uh, and then you can get LCFS credits, low carbon fuel standard credits out of states like California and Washington. And you might start looking at credit markets uh, for a dairy cow, 500 to to $1,000 of credit for a cow per year. Uh, that's pretty lucrative and enough to push me towards a digester. Swine credits, uh, if you have a lagoon system, might be pushing three hundred dollars per year per pig space uh, in the Midwest where we've seen more deep pits. It's a little harder, right? You have to make a bigger change to the system, and credits aren't quite as good. It's more like one fifty a pig space, but there's opportunities there. It, I think we have to be innovative in how we set those systems up, but it is something I get more questions about, and people are looking at.
0: Yeah, it sure is, and and you're right. There there are some dollars out there for growers that that are looking for that. It's not just uh, not just manure that I need to find a home for. Uh, now there could be a revenue source there as well. Uh, Dan, always great talking to you. Really appreciate that. Look forward to talking to you again down the road.
5: All right, thank you much. Have a good day. Yeah,
0: there is. There's much more to this manure management piece than just how much am I going to put on per acre uh, for the livestock producer uh, like we were talking about there with the carbon market and things that are going on. Uh, the potential to get involved uh, capturing methane gas those types of things it's it's pretty interesting out there we'll talk more about manure we'll talk about how that impacts the crop a little bit and and maybe even some application technology coming up after this and our phone lines will be open for your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD stay tuned we'll be right back
6: Get
2: more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com.
3: From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. If you
2: look close enough, you can see the hidden potential within your fields. That's why an AgroLiquid nutrition plan starts with the crop and identifies the precise combination of primary nutrients while focusing on the support of secondary and micronutrients. So every nutrient is working in harmony for your crop to reach its full potential, maximizing growth while offering lower use rates. Apply less? Expect more? Precisely. Find an agroliquid dealer at agroliquid.com. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia
3: with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions.
0: You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. If you've got an agronomic question, our phone lines are open throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. We're talking manure management today. And of course, you could talk about manure management or ask a question around that topic or any agronomic topic on your farm that interests you. You can also email us radio at agphd.com and of course when we're talking manure management you're thinking huh i wonder if glenn arnold will be on from ohio state and you are not going to be disappointed we've got glenn right now glenn how you doing
7: I'm doing great. Appreciate the introduction there.
0: (laughs) Well, this was interesting, and I got thinking about this earlier. We were talking to Todd Whitney down at University of Nebraska, and he was talking about some of the research that they've done and that they're changing up their recommendations just a little bit. They've increased the first-year available nutrient load, and and they've noticed 5% better yields where manure was put Mm -hmm. out uh, just from all the other good things in manure beyond just what the nutrient recommendations are. What do you see with that, Glenn? I know you guys do a lot of research on this. Uh, do you see a big gain with manure versus commercial acres?
7: Yeah, it all, all depends on your situation, your condition. Uh, a lot of times when you have a field that has not received manure in the past 10 years, um, you'll see you know some nice uh, lasting effects of a manure application. So it's a, certainly an incentive for people who who don't have their own manure to accept manure from neighbors we do a lot more with uh, side dressing corn with um, either drag hoses or this year we used the cadmin system out of canada and in those um, we've gotten anywhere from oh on average eight to maybe 25 bushel per acre more with our manure especially during a dry year the manure really excels
0: Interesting. Well, we've certainly had some dry years in our area the last few, so hopefully that that changes a little bit. Uh, what are some of the new things happening with manure management? Um, you know, think about new technologies out there. You think about changing feed rations, uh, just uh, some the size of some of these operations. A uh, lot of lot of different yep. challenges than we used to have when everybody had just a little bit of livestock and uh, a few acres mm-hmm. put that manure on too.
7: Right. Yeah. As you see them, as you see them, concentrate. Uh, that gives you more manure at a single site. So that usually means you're going to spend more time hauling manure at greater distance to get it away from storage. So I think when uh, when we look at this, some trends we're seeing, uh, people are hauling manure further, and uh, legislatively a lot of uh, folks in the eastern part of the United States are, are encouraging farmers to do that with financial incentives. And then the other thing we're seeing is, um, as as especially in the hog industry, as the growers... Get better with rations and the use of phytase. Uh, we're seeing the phosphorus uh, in the in the hog manure dropping, especially in the finishing buildings, and, it, and a lot of that's dropped from around twenty two pounds per thousand gallons of hog manure down to maybe fifteen pounds of of uh, P two hundred five per one hundred thousand or per thousand gallons of hog manure. So basically, you know, as we seek to uh, control phosphorus losses from fields, uh, it's nice to see that. Uh, the the way manure changes, I mean, it's, just, it's certainly favorable for the environment.
0: All right, uh, one question I want to ask you is: This one is is one we talk about a lot. Is just how much salt is in manure? Obviously, there's lots of good things in there, and you mentioned lower amounts mm-hmm. of phosphorus in some of this, especially like the finishing hog manure. Uh, so that for sure. a lot of farmers is, huh? I'm gonna have to put on more pounds or more gallons or or more tons, whatever, to to get what I need, but. There's salt in there, and, and we've heard recommendations like 500 pounds of salt per acre as a max, uh, but, of course, there's a lot of differences. There are soil types and rainfall and, and everything. What do you recommend?
7: Well, a couple of thoughts. Um, nitrogen is salt, phosphorus is salt, potash is salt. So your three major micronutrients for uh, crop growth are all salts. And when I was in the 1970s, when I was in high school, uh, the general recommendation was not to put more than 100 pounds of salt in a row as a, in a two by two when they use dry fertilizers and things like that for corn. So, you know, we've we did some strip plots this past year where we put uh, five and eight thousand gallons per acre of swine manure in 30 inch strips, and then planted corn directly into those strips the following spring, and got excellent results. Uh, no, no, no slowdown of the germination and emergence of corn. And our yields were a three year running average of more than 250 bushels per acre. So it looks like uh, for those who do want to, who do have to or want to apply manure in the fall, that they can strip till that in and then plant their corn directly in those strips using their their, uh, RTK. Why, I think there's uh, some real potential to use manure as a starter fertilizer. From last fall for application
0: very interesting and you know you think about that that brings up another topic is fall versus spring application we've done spring application a couple different times on our farm in recent years one time with great success the other time eh, it might have been too close to planting what do you what's your recommendation on those spring applications
7: well if you're using tankers you um, Spring soils are usually wet, no matter how dry they may appear. You know, we're pretty fortunate. We've had two dry Aprils in a row to allow us to get uh, fields pretty fit. But, but putting any type of heavy tanker out on fields in the spring, uh, in Ohio, you know, in Michigan, Indiana, we have a lot of clay in our topsoil. So we try to avoid that, our drag hoses are still fine. But the other way we've used manure in the spring is go ahead and plant the field and just splatter the dairy or slime manure right on top of the newly planted crop, drive across at an angle. And that certainly works. As long as the crops are protected by the soil that they're, they're planted in, uh, you can splatter manure right on top of the newly planted crop, and it'll both provide a little moisture to get out of the ground and eventually provide quite a bit of nitrogen to get, get the crop growing.
0: You know, there there's just a lot of different things. Like you had mentioned, Glenn, the the concentration of these. Um manure or i should say livestock operations they're they're hauling Mm -hmm. manure further they're pumping manure further uh i I was saying before as we started the show that even though your farm may not fall into a spot where oh there's there's manure right around me uh even if you're miles away now it it might get you involved Mm -hmm. what are some of the things for the guys that haven't really spread much manure before that they should be aware of as they get started
7: well just understand that um the manure industry has evolved, and the pumps and the pumpers and the hoses are getting bigger. Uh used to be, you know, we usually pumped six-inch uh, mainline hose out and drug maybe a five-inch hose through the field. And now people have grown to, to 10 to 12-inch mainline hoses. And we even have a person in Ohio who dry hoses uh, a seven-and-a-half-inch um, hose, which is unbelievably heavy. So it's uh, the fact that, uh, you know, you could be five, six miles from a source of manure and still get that delivered by a drag hose, or a lot of, uh, a lot of people put it on semis now. You know, they've got rapid loading and rapid unloading systems that uh, allow you to be a little bit more efficient. So it's costing more to put it on those semis. But once on a truck, it's pretty easy to travel 8, 10, 12 miles uh, without any issue to uh, get manure delivered to distant fields.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. It's it's changing. It's it keeps everything interesting, that's for sure. And oh and, it
7: does, yes.
0: You know, the other thing is just you think about uh, how farmers are utilizing cover crops and different things. I, I think that opens some windows up perhaps for earlier application in the fall. If you've got a cover crop there to, to potentially tie up the, the nitrogen or any nutrients that could get away. Uh, I think we've talked about that in the past with all the guys doing cover crops in Ohio. I'm sure you've seen some test data from this year. What, what do you see around cover crops and best management practices with manure applications?
7: yeah what the cover crops do best is they allow us to grab a lot of that ammonium nitrogen you know when you look at the hog manure about 95 percent of that manure is in the or nitrogen is in the ammonium form so when you put that out on field we would expect probably to lose about half of that before the following spring so those cover crops what they'll do is they'll grab that ammonium nitrogen and they'll convert that into roots and plant matter and and basically uh, uh, make it organic material and then eventually when that crop dies over a period of years following that death, it'll re-release in the ammonium nitrogen form. so it's it's a good way to rather than you know donate that nitrogen to uh, your waterways and, and surface loss uh, to get a, to get it switched into a material that's going to help in your field for years down the road, improve your soil tilts and stuff. So there's a lot of research also being done in soil health, how manure impacts soil health. Uh, the National Pork Board has started a large uh, five-year study on that that we're going to be a part of, us and 23 other states, and we're going to just see if we can finally get some measurements of uh, manure's impact on soil health. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's why we love talking with
0: Glenn Arnold at Ohio State. Always a lot of research going on, and Glenn is de- definitely uh, in, in touch with all that data and all the folks working on it as well. Glenn, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on and, and hope you have a great winter
7: all right thanks a bunch stay
0: warm (laughs) yeah that's the challenge right now is staying warm and hopefully you're doing just that as you're listening to our show today if you've got any questions for us call in
3: 844-44-AG-PHD Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years from manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit MortonBuildings.com.
0: My mom's got a new case ice tractor and it can do it all. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plans, do you think you could cut your farm's fertility expenses, maybe even increase your yields? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're holding our Ag PhD Soils Clinic on Tuesday, January 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the single most important day you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com.
3: Planting preparation starts as soon as harvest ends. So do successful at-plant strategies. Put time on your side with at-plant inputs, insights and innovations that help you make the most of next season's planting pass. You're already thinking about seed inputs and crop protection when you plan your season. Include them all in your planter to give yourself an at-plant advantage that pays off at harvest. Always read and follow all label directions
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio talking manure management on the show today and you say, all right, we heard from the university guys. How about some farmers? Well, we got one right now. We got Jameson out with us right now down in Kansas. How you doing, Jameson? Oh, not too bad. How about you guys? Pretty good. I understand you don't have it all figured out on manure either. And maybe you have some questions for us too. Uh, What's on your mind? Yeah, uh,
8: here lately in the off-season, kind of been looking through some things and looking back at some grid sampling I uh, had done in the past here. And I'm trying to figure out, um, what do you guys think, wh- how, where do we get, uh, what levels do uh, potassium toxicity start to really take place and really affect yield
1: I don't know that there's any one certain number that we can point to, but I would say this, that we've talked about it for years, like with Neil Kinsey, we've had him on the show quite a few times. And when you start getting above 8% base saturation potassium uh, in heavy soils, then we start getting worried about it a little bit you start getting above 10% between sodium and potassium and one of the things he talks about is hey then you start tying up other things like manganese and so it's going to vary depending a little bit on the soil though cuz for example we'll work with some guys who have pretty light soil and i mean they'll push it to 12 or 15% base saturation k because in one year they can suck down so much When when they're producing tremendous yield, that it's not that high for the entire year, and they don't really have a lot of problem. So tell us just a little bit: what kind of soil are we talking about here in your area in Kansas? I would assume it's moderately heavy, at least.
8: Yeah, you know we. You're you're looking at um, CECs of probably somewhere. a, A lot of them between. Oh, I'd say say 14 to 20 yep yep 14 to
1: 18 yep yep so yeah we kind of call that medium textured soil um so how high are your levels what where's this concern coming from (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, if you want to tell us
8: (laughs) yeah (laughs) um you know and it and it's kind of it depends you know and and fields very like like you guys said in the past you know it's always the fields that are close to the barns that are yep. easy to apply, and, yep. um, and you can uh, pick out some. You know, I have a, a point or two that I'm, I'm assuming there was a breakdown or an issue yeah, <laughs> or something. Of course. Um, uh, but, you know, there's some levels that are getting up um, uh, 900, you yep. know, gotcha. or a 1,000 Um, And I've got, you know, base saturation. I've got a lot of base saturation in areas um, uh, between uh, 10 and
1: 20. Yeah. Uh, Talk to us a little about salt and sodium. How are those two levels? Like you just mentioned base saturation. What's your sodium base saturation? Uh,
8: Let's see if I'm reading this right. Um, Base saturation on sodium... Uh, a lot of ones and twos.
1: Oh, okay. Well, that's good. And then, uh, but
8: I don't know, like salt. I don't really have.
1: Okay. So, and this is this is something for anybody that's listening today. And when you have questions on fields like uh, Jameson does here, uh, and you're you're concerned about the manure that's been applied in the past, we're going to ask you about sodium levels and salt levels, and then yes, potassium. Could be a problem. At the 10%, honestly, I'm probably not that worried about it. But when you start talking 20% base saturation potassium and 900 to 1,000 parts per million, that's a lot. Now, is it possible that we could make everything good by, in effect, over-applying everything? sure, but um, it's a lot easier to suck it back down. So it just depends on the situation. And here's where I'm going with this. If let's say livestock's your number one thing and you go, look, I only own so many acres and I want to keep pushing it you know, as, as far as I can. Okay. Then I'm going to probably tell you, let's try to build up some of the other things, and at least try to get stuff in balance as much as we can and we'll deal with it. But if I'm just strictly a crop farmer, uh, or I should say if I'm most concerned about, hey, I want the crop to be great, I can sell off some of the manure or find somebody else to take it, um, I'm cutting back. I, I'm just, I'm going to cut back. And, I mean, we can run through a lot of potassium quick. So, for example, what a lot of guys here will do is... Is And what we might end up doing on our own farm, where we've pushed the potassium maybe too far, we'll just put it into alfalfa for three or four or five years, something like that. And we will suck a tremendous amount of that out of there. And then we won't put any fertilizer on for that, however long that stand is out there, three, four, five years. So that's the number one way that's pretty easy for a lot of people to do it. Um, otherwise, you could certainly cut silage. You can bale stalks. I mean, there are a lot of ways to get a lot of potassium off that ground fairly quick.
8: And that's what I was kind of you know, uh, you know either bale silage or or chop yep. silage bale yep. stocks or bale you know with baling like like cover crop you know would that help yep. mine some sure. of that yeah um, absolutely now there are parts of the field that are you know, are in line. So if I go and start (laughs) chopping something, now I'm going to have to replace Uh other things. You know, I guess my question is, you start getting up to 900 and you get, or, you know, even if you get those higher base saturations, is it worth those measures or should I just, you know, not apply any potash and then just try to mine it out with corn and beans, you know, slowly? Yeah. If I can put manure elsewhere.
1: Right, yeah. I mean, honestly, I would try to put manure elsewhere. But I'm going to guess you Mm -hmm. can probably answer your own question pretty easily, and this maybe even is the reason why you're calling. Have yields been negatively impacted? Can you tell at this point where those super high K levels are in your field when it comes to harvest whatever crop you've got out there?
8: I mean, honestly, no, I
1: can't. Yeah. Yep. yeah, that's that's why I was saying at the beginning of this, I'm, I, I'm not going to tell you that I'm like super worried because potassium on its own, it takes a lot for that to get toxic. But what it does is it, it's going to inhibit some other things from getting in there. So for example, magnesium, there have been some people out there talking about, hey, we have lower magnesium levels in plants. Well- I'll promise you, if you have ridiculously high potassium, you will get less magnesium into the plant. How high are your magnesium levels? Do you know? Like parts per million.
8: Uh,
1: oh, <laughs> magnesium. Um, I'll, I'll, I'm going to guess they're 300 to 400. Now let's Uh, let's see what you
8: got. Yeah, that's a a lot of that, yeah. (laughs)
1: And and here's how I could kind of guess, because you told me 14 to 20 on cation exchange capacity. So you don't have super heavy soil. So I knew right away you didn't have a crazy level of magnesium out there. So here's where I'm going with this. Because your potassium level is so high... It's possible that you may benefit from some, let's say, magnesium sulfate or some form of magnesium a little bit, maybe call it even in, put on in season or something. I, I'm just concerned that your magnesium levels may run a little bit short in the plant. So that's probably the biggest thing when your potassium level is that high. Magnesium, you can also run into some manganese tie-up issues, things like that. So it's not that potassium is killing your plant or anything like that. It's just it's going to inhibit other stuff from getting in there, and all of a sudden then your plant's a little out of balance. It's just like you or me. If all we ate was steak, it tastes great and everything, and I'd enjoy that very much, but I may not be the healthiest person if that's all I had in my diet.
8: And now, so, you know, a lot of times with manure applications, you know, it goes on one year and then, you know, that field won't yep. see manure again for ideally for a while. Uh, sure. As far as those high potassium rates, you know, I've heard you guys talk about um, soil structure and basically soil and, and water infiltration yep. and, and soils being hard, you know, is those rates. If you can, as long as that's not a prolonged deal, you know, is it is that how crucial is that?
1: Yeah, I don't think I'd be tremendously worried about that. Uh I'll I'll tell you what though, Jameson, I, I want to talk to you just a little bit more about that, just to make sure I fully understand your question and then we can visit a little more. But if you can hang on with us during this break, uh we'll come right back and we'll get to you right after right after the break if that's okay. Yep. Okay, sounds good. So again, today on the show, we're talking a little about manure management, but if you've got any questions for us about that or anything else going on in your farm, just call us 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back.
2: Insects have rained since the dawn of time, adapted to their surroundings, experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids, extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us.
3: There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC Herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 Herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions.
6: You
0: have a lot at stake when it comes to raising corn. I'm Darren Hefty. That's why on Wednesday, January 17th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll help you navigate all the challenges of corn production, including how to manage exploding pest populations, resistant diseases, fertility challenges, and more. It's a day packed with information. So if you want to get the most out of your corn this season, don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com.
2: Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed to soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com.
3: Join us in Houston for Commodity Classic, America's largest farmer led, farmer focused agricultural and educational event. New Frontiers in Agriculture. February 28th through March 2nd, 2024. Houston, we have no problems.
1: Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio, just talking about manure management. And right before the break, we were just running through a few things with Jameson down in Kansas. He had a few questions on manure. So on, on your last question, Jameson, you were talking about water infiltration and everything. Are you just concerned that the potassium level gets so high that that could cause issues with soil structure and all of a sudden you don't get as good of water infiltration is that what you're asking
8: uh yeah i i I feel like in the past i've heard you guys talk about that or just talk about you know some things that potassium can do there
1: yeah i'm more worried about the sodium but is it possible that you could get so much potassium out there that could cause a few issues sure it is uh so i i I, i'm not going to tell you that it's like a super big concern though so I I don't know if I'd worry about that all that much and the other thing when we were talking you just said hey I got a lot of variability here yeah I have some areas that it's really high but then I have other areas that are you know not too bad so I don't know that I'd get that that terribly worried about it just kind of keep monitoring it as you go calcium and having good calcium levels is really important and as long as you're at least 65% 70%, Seventy percent, something like that. Calcium. So on that base saturation test, if you're sixty-five to seventy percent calcium, or maybe even a little bit more, your water infiltration's probably not going to be too bad.
8: Okay. So yeah, I think you know it might this field might be a candidate because there is a large part of the field that is. You know, has normal potassium levels, so rather than probably try to mine it all out, probably just kind of maybe variable rate and uh, just back it off on some of those. I just didn't know if those levels were so alarming that immediate action needed to be taken or if…
1: Well, I mean… I'd, I'd like them lower. I, I think you're going to be able to maximize yield by getting them a little bit lower because you'll you'll have things more in balance in your field. But if you need the ground for manure, then. I mean, I'd probably keep putting a little bit on, but just <laughs> in those areas where it's pretty high, just cut back, kind of like you're talking about. We do some variable rate stuff, too, and that 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 makes a lot of difference. So that that's probably what I would do. Otherwise, yeah, just go mine it out for a while. Because even if you're down to, heck, 4% or 5% uh, base saturation potassium, you're probably at a level where you're real close to maximizing yield. At, even at that low a point. So, if your lowest level in the field is 8 or 10%, you got a couple, three years where you wouldn't have to put any potassium out and you'd be just fine.
8: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And then, so on all my tests, you know, I've got sodium. As far as testing salt levels, can I pulse test to test that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so when, whatever lab you go with, I just talk to the lab and say, hey, I just want to get a soluble salts test also along with whatever else I'm doing. So we test our stuff at Midwest Labs in Omaha, for example. And uh, um, I don't know what you want to call it, the complete package. Uh, It includes soluble salts. So I see that on everything and I'm paying attention to that because we're putting a lot of manure out there. I I, I'm watching the salt and quite frankly with both the soluble salts and the sodium, I like them to be around one. If they're one or less, okay, no concern. You said sodium one to two percent. All right. At two percent I'm probably fine. It's not like it's that big a deal. But even at two percent I'm starting to think Okay, uh, you know I'm I, I'm starting to push it a little bit. Let's let's just be careful because if you start getting up to three or five or whatever, um, now you're starting to limit things a little bit more. And the problem is when you start going downhill, and it's usually just areas and fields, you might not even notice it for a while. But pretty soon yield starts going down, which means you use less, which means the problem gets worse. And if it's not monitored, you do something different, all of a sudden, you well, I shouldn't say all of a sudden, over a long period of time, you have a mess out there. And that's usually where we get involved. We've literally had people show a soil test where they've got like 33% sodium. And I'm going, oh my gosh, didn't somebody notice this over the last 30 years? I mean, it doesn't happen overnight. So <laughs> we just want to kind of keep paying attention to stuff. So I, I'm, I'm glad you're looking at these things and I'm glad you're uh, noticing, hey, yeah, my potassium up that's we're, we're pushing it a little bit here so just be careful what you're doing and i think you're going to be fine moving forward
8: okay all right well i sure appreciate it you bet
1: yep thanks for the call jameson appreciate it
8: yep we'll talk to you later yep
1: all right so manure management i guess i'm gonna finish where we started on the day and i just said salt Be really careful about what you're putting out there for salt. That's the short-term issue. The long-term issue, like we were just talking about, that's sodium. Monitor that sodium level. Keep your salt and your sodium levels down, and you should be in pretty good shape. We love manure. We love compost. We love a lot of these um, alternative methods of fertilization compared to commercial fertilizer. It's great. But with everything, we just encourage you, make sure you know what you're putting out there, Do it in moderation. Keep measuring it over time so you don't run into any problems. And if you have questions, just like Jameson did, just call and ask. And test some things out on your own, too. I'd just say... We have learned so much over the years by really, really pushing it and doing dumb stuff, quite frankly, that that gives us plenty of knowledge to say, yeah, you don't want to do that. That's going to cause a problem for you. Even this last year, we pushed it too far on, on some ground, too much salt in a drought year, just can't do that. You can't afford those kind of mistakes when the crop is worth so much. All right, we're going to get to the Ag Mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right. uh, First question comes in from Marty. He said, what is the best way to apply boron? Well, it all depends on your situation. There are many ways you can apply it. For us, with heavy ground and very little rain, we like putting dry boron out in the fall to try to really raise the level because in our ground, it doesn't leach very easy. If, on the other hand, you have sandy soil... And irrigation, we're yeah. going to tell you, literally every time you irrigate, put a little bit of liquid boron out there. I mean, there are a lot of ways to do it.
0: Yeah, there sure. are. It, it depends on your soil. You'd have to give us a lot more information in terms of what soils you have, where yeah, you are at, exactly, what's but, your rainfall. But yeah, your but crop some... needs it, and it needs a little bit all the way through the growing season. And that's the thing to keep in mind. It's not just some people say, well, it's really important at pollination. Absolutely it is but it's also important all the way through. So boron is a little different than some of the other nutrients and uh, you've got to have it. It's one of those building blocks. So you need just a little bit available all through the year. So you need to put it out there so you have that. So like Brian was saying, if you've got heavy soil, high organic matter, uh, great. You can hold on to boron. But if you're in a heavy rainfall area, light soils, low organic matter, you're going to have to spoon feed it a bunch. So you can do some trial work on your farm with it. Uh, There's a lot of good boron Sources out there that are liquids. There's good dry sources too. If you're gonna do the dry, though, uh, we we like doing that uh, in the fall or in the spring. If you're doing the liquid, foliar, we like doing it in the fall. Yeah, there are some great yep. there are some great products that you could use foliar uh, uh, from a number of different companies. But uh, that that's what I would look at too. Okay, um, this one comes in from Cinco. Why does it seem like only Americans are doing drainage tile? Is there something wrong with their soil that it needs to be drained constantly?
1: No, it was it wasn't invented in the United no, States. No, this is done all over so, the world. Yeah, it's uh, just that we're for hundreds of years. It's,
0: there are tile lines that are hundreds of years old, back into the 1600s, I believe, in, in right, Europe. Right. So well, part of the thing is,
1: time. honestly, I mean, in the United States, it's a rich, richer country. If you look around the world, most yeah, countries but, don't but have look, a lot of money. Look
0: at where some of our drainage problems are, though, Brian. They've built up roads. There didn't used to be a road there. They built up a road. Now, all of a sudden, the road on one side holds water back. Yeah, but they that's put definitely not— in. I know, but that's I mean, not the majority all, of
1: it. mean, all those kinds of but things that happen. But here's the other thing. Where crop is raised, think about the soil. Do you have heavy enough soil? Because you have to have heavier soil. So, for example, Darren and I were in Ukraine. Okay, well, Ukraine could use—I mean, it's got great ground. It could use some tile, but— people don't have any money for the most part. I mean, not like here in the United States. So I, I still come back to it's a, it's more of the money thing and what you can invest versus anything else.
0: Okay, Joel has a question. He said, guys, I am seeding a cereal rye crop. I'm hoping to get some weed control out of it, but I'm planting soybeans green uh, and I'm still seeing some weeds come through. Uh, yeah, yeah, you probably will. It's not like it's going to be perfect. You have to have a super, super thick stand of, cereal rye in order to choke out all the weeds. So with pre's, uh, what's the research shown, Brian, if you get more than 18 inches yeah, of growth inches. on the cover
1: crop? You got to uh, burn it down first and then go, well, it sounds like you don't want to burn it down. So our suggestion is, I mean, would we throw a residual out there in advance of planting? We still give it a shot. And then early post-emerge, we'd be putting more residuals out. So residuals are usually key. And then I don't know what weeds are after. Uh, let us know what weeds you're trying to control and we'll give the best methods to stop them.
0: Hey, thanks for the question, Joel. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.